Hello, this is Team Hope's Connecting with Nature podcast. We're looking at December with a close eye. What's going on with the flora and fauna? Today, you'll be hearing from all kinds of nature experts that are really interested in connecting with nature. You can't protect if you can't connect. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Nature Podcast at Mill Pond. Today we have a very special guest. She's not a sixth grader. She's taller than a sixth grader. And she has traversed in the backwoods with us twice. Sleet, snow, rain. In the middle of the woods, she keeps on going. This is Mrs. M. I'm saying Mrs. M because I've never really been able to pronounce her last name. So, Mrs. M, tell us um, a little bit about your experiences being outside today. Oh, yesterday. Tell us. I really enjoyed seeing the children running through the nature and nice the snow. Nature. <laughs> <laughs> you looked at me. I got nervous. So, like, was there anything that you learned or you were particularly curious about? I learned all about the tree with the bark that pulls away, the shag. Yes. Shag. One shaggy, 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 shag, shaggy bark, shag bark hickory. So, what yes. would you like to know more about that tree? Like, what are you curious about? Well, I'm curious about the adaptation, and I'm also curious about how, where this tree comes from, and the different areas that it might be in. Like, is yeah. it more popular, maybe in California where there are yeah. forest fires, or it's popular here? But are we known for big forest fires? I was kind of curious about just the history. That's a really those those are really good questions to fuel. Get it? Fuel, since you're just talking <laughs> about forest fires, to fuel your curiosity. Perhaps we have some nature uh, connectors here that have done some research that could help you answer some Shadbuck Hickory questions. One will never know. But let's call up our next guest. It was such a pleasure talking to you today, Mrs. M. Thank you so, so much. And our sponsors today, Captain Crunch Cereal. Buy one, get one free at Roach Brothers. Well, we're back. We're back here with a very special guest. Erin uh, is a sixth grader at um, on Team Hope. And yesterday, actually a week ago, Erin uh, put together a bird feeder uh, specifically to target chickadees. I shouldn't say target because that's not a good word when you're trying to feed them. So he put this feeder on an eastern white pine in a best place possible. And yesterday, a week later, what did you discover? Erin, welcome to the show. Welcome. How are you today? How was your drive-in? Good. Good. Well, tell us a little bit about the bird feeder. Can you describe the bird feeder uh, that you made for our listeners? Um, what did it look like? Well, we basically used... I think it was like netting stuff, yeah, right? With holes in it. Kind of like a net. Yeah. Um, so we basically put bird food. Any so, like what kind of bird food did you put in? Like what does it look like? Well, um I believe some flower seeds yes. with some mealworms. Yum. Memes. Um, and then you had a, a a special tie and you put it in a place that was a really good place for chickadees. So tell our listeners 
the best type of placement for your their bird feeder if they want to attract chickadees? Um, I would say obviously not on the ground. Yes, obviously. But yes. not necessarily in the middle of the woods, maybe around a little bit of the edge. Right, right. And what I noticed about where you put it, the chickadees were able to get there without predators seeing them. Yeah. That was huge. So you know, we noticed yesterday that they had they were coming up close. Were you surprised by all the chickadees yesterday? Yeah. I was too. They loved your food. So you did some additional research about the black-capped chickadee. Yeah. And um, why don't you tell our listeners some fascinating facts that you discovered? Well, um, uh, I, there are actually 15 species, different species of chickadee birds. Mm. Um, so I have uh, researched one type of species of it, the borel chickadee. Mm-hmm. So, oh, in the northern part of the like yeah. the continent, really, like in Canada and even yeah. the Arctic. Yeah, Alaska too. Um, and then, it looks a little different, doesn't it? Yeah. So what's the chi- so it looks like the chickadee, but what do you notice that's different about the black cat chickadee and the boreal chickadee? Well, um, the boreal chickadee has kind of the bottom is orange, like mm-hmm. more than orange, unlike the um, other chickadee mm-hmm. that we have in Massachusetts. Yeah. Means. Mm-hmm. Um, where would yeah. you, what kind of habitat would you find the boreal chickadee in? I would say in the woods. Yeah. In like what part of, uh, if you were looking at a map and you're like, I want to go see a boreal chickadee, where would I have to travel to get there to see one? Well, probably, I mean, I'm thinking yeah. about, we don't see it here in Massachusetts, but you might see it somewhere in Canada. Oh, Alaska. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. In the northern edges of the northernmost portions of the lower 48 United so States. So basically like maybe like Wisconsin, like the, yeah. all the states that are like yeah. bordering Canada too, yeah. right? Me. Right. Well, I tell you, Erin, thank you so much for teaching us about the boreal chickadee. And how many other species of chickadee are there? 15. Wow. No, 14. 14. I didn't know that, so that's good to know. Well, it was nice to uh, talk with you today. Thank you. And um, thank you so much for coming to our show today. Stay in tune with memes. I am so happy to introduce our second guest of the Nature Podcast. It was so lovely to hear from Aaron talk about the boreal chickadee. But now we're going to turn our attention to other fascinating natural flora and fauna things. So, Dimish is here, and he is uh, quite an expert on a lot of different topics, but I'll let him tell you what he learned in the woods yesterday. So, yesterday, um, I, I was interested in why deciduous trees like lose the leaves and why evergreens don't. So, I did some background research, sad research on mm-hmm. it. So, then I, uh, I saw that if leaves don't fall for deciduous trees, um, the uh, then the tree keeps on photosynthesizing, and then um, the yeah. So in the spring, the because in the winter when the trees 
like have their leaves, so they freeze. Mm-hmm. So the leaves die, mm-hmm. and then in the spring they can't grow new trees. Uh, uh, they get, can't grow new leaves because they already have them, mm-hmm. but they're dead, so they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And thus the tree is left to die. But if leaves fall, then even if the yeah, so the tree becomes dormant. Yeah. So new leaves can grow in the spring. Uh, so the tree can thrive. Like, so it's almost like the tree is basically saving all of its energy. So in the winter time, when there's very little sun, a lot, so it can't make its own food as well, right? Then it stores all its food for the winter, a lot like animals do, right? Yes. They'll store their food, they'll hide their food. So that's a pretty fascinating thing. So what other fascinating facts did you learn? I talk, I noticed that uh, when we, I talked, like, I I wondered why leaves like get will die, and I when I did my research, I I saw that leaves have a large surface area, so all the moisture from the dry and cold wind becomes stripped, uh, beca- goes away into the wind. So yeah, so the leaves become dry, and yeah. So, because if it is dormant, though, it, d- it needs a lot less water, and it needs a lot less energy, letting it survive the harsh winter months. And that's why deciduous trees lose the leaves. Oh, that's really neat. That's really neat. Well, you are um, just, uh, just an expert on this topic. I'm so glad that we called you in to talk about deciduous trees and why they lose the leaves. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. Like, if I could drop my arms... Just like a leap, I would probably survive the winter too. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Well, I will tell you, it was so nice to meet you. And thank you so much for entertaining our listeners with some good facts. But I I have a feeling you have more to tell us. Yes, I do. Oh, my gosh. Tell us more about what you've learned. Related to the deciduous trees, I thought that why did did evergreen trees never lose their leaves? Because I I thought that maybe it was because the surface area of uh, pine needles aren't as big. So uh, they won't get stripped of the moisture, and then. Um, so you had that theory. Yeah, that was that was my theory, but yeah, so that turned out to be correct. But also that uh, what minimal uh, amount of light and and uh, water it, the the needles get gets stored inside the needles, and yeah, the needles are designed to hold. Water better than deciduous trees. Oh. So they get water supplied. Because it has a smaller surface area. Yeah. So they have a water supply throughout the So why get rid of it if it's storing your food? Yeah. So it's really like a shelf like you have in the kitchen. It's storing its food. So why would you get rid of it? A refrigerator. That's excellent. I didn't know that. That's cool. So it sounds to me like the smaller surface area types of leaves, trees, um, most likely would be evergreen. Yes. Right? Um, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You've taught us a lot today. Uh, here, let me shake your hand. Thank you so much, Namish. Nice having you. Hopefully you'll have a nice, safe trip back and you have a nice, good commute. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm, we're so happy to have you. And today we have Shri, who happens to be an expert on birds and insects and trees and especially in the New England area. So, Shri, thank you for uh, showing up today. I must have been hard driving on 495. How was how are the roads? Oh, yeah. Do you have four-wheel drive? 
Yeah, four wheel drive. Yeah, it sounds like you don't. You know, clue. <laughs> yeah, it was tough getting in here yesterday. I hear you went outside and you uh, you took some measurements and you did some research on the New England forest. What what did you find out? Well, let's talk about the pileated woodpecker. Like, can you describe to our listeners um, what the pileated woodpecker looks like? Yeah, in it, and so I have one actually in my phone here, but you can't see it very well. But let's describe it. It's about the size of a crow. And what about on its head? What's the thing on its head called? That's a crest, right? But what color is it? Oh no, but pileated. So pileated woodpecker. Um, and while you're telling the listeners what you learned about the pileated woodpecker, should we play a sound? Should we play what they might sound like? All right, let's just play that for our. Yeah, hold on, we'll play this for our listeners. So that is a pileated woodpecker call. So you can hear that they have lots of calls. So that is a distinct drum. I mean, a lot of people identify with woodpeckers by the different echoes that the drum makes. That's a pretty woodpecker call. And then here's the other call. Here's the other call. No. Okay, here's the other call. It's not going to happen. So it's red, crested. Uh, it has a long, long beak, right? Probably yep. used to slam right into those. What does it eat? So it eats insects like carpenter ants and woodworm beetle larvae. They also want to eat fruits and nuts such as... They eat fruits and nuts? I didn't know that. Yeah, they eat wild fruits and nuts like green ear, really? sassafras. Really? Yeah. That's cool. So um, we did notice a lot of berries in the woods. So in the winter time, I'm wondering if those berries aren't available. What would they eat in the winter, do you think? They'll probably just eat the worm. Or just the insects in the yeah, dead trees? The, the carpenter ants, because that's why they're digging the holes. Right. Right. Do you think pileated woodpeckers get concussions? Not. Why not? I mean, they're banging their heads at like a thousand pounds of force. Well, the research actually says why birds can peck crazy. Why? So, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at it yet. It's a good thing. Like I, I, um, I actually did a little research recently and found just that they actually do get concussions. Yes, I'm shocked. So why don't you, the next time we talk, do a little research so you can tell us more about. Um, do birds get concussions? Do woodpeckers get concussions? And if so, what are their what are the consequences to that? Because remember, you're banging your head with your brain, regardless of who you are. I mean, they must have adaptations to protect them. Does that make sense? All right, so we are done with this almost four minute interview with Professor Shri, and we are just so happy, so happy that you joined us today on our first Nature Connection podcast. Shree, say goodbye to our listeners. Bye, listeners. Ooh. Oh, thank you. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Today, we're here with Nolan. He is a nature expert. 
Today, he's going to share with us some real fascinating facts about the outdoors. Uh, we're looking at New England, mixed forest. Uh, Nolan, what did you discover outside? I noticed that you have your nature journal with you. Tell us, tell your listeners what you discovered. When a river is when the river is moving down the stream, it, the crashing water can't freeze because it, it has too much speed for the snow or cold air to get to it. But every but all the river that bounces the water up can freeze onto the rock and keep it hanging there for and then turn it into ice. So really what you're saying is when some people say, well, why does this pond freeze in this stream or river? Why does that not freeze? Your answer is? Because it has too much force and pressure for the, any cold air. Exactly. So it's moving. That's really fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing that fact with us. For our listeners, um, if you have any additional questions, you can write letters or email Nolan at nolannatureguide.com. All right, Nolan, thank you so much. Such a pleasure talking to you today. Hello, listeners. Well, once again, we have one of our nature experts to talk to you about what they're learning in the back woods of Massachusetts. Today, we have a very special guest, an expert on most anything, but he's going to focus on just one specific thing that he learned outside this week. His name is Alex, and Alex is uh, a real curious, curious scientist. So, Alex, thank you so much for driving this hard weather. Like, it was hard to drive. Like, how was your car in the, in the snow? Well, as you know, you live in Massachusetts, so you need all-wheel drive. Yeah, I hear you. Did you, uh, you know, how was your drive? Was 495 all traffic jam? It was very slow. Yeah, any road rage out there? Uh, hello. Yeah, was it you that was the road rager? Uh, this guy behind me just kept beeping. Yeah, I know, it's crazy stuff. Well, what brings you here? Tell us what you're sharing with your listeners today. Well, I'm learning about how rivers yeah. go around rocks, yeah. the pattern that they make. And one of them. What, what was it about the rivers and the rocks that kind of pulled your you in and made you curious? Well, I've always been around rivers, but I never actually like, looked very closely at the mm -hmm. pattern, and it, it's very cool. That's really cool. I like your sketch. So, listeners, yeah. you can't see the sketch, but yeah. he's made a really, like, a, a real moving uh, sketch here. I feel, no pun intended, it was a moving sketch. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So, tell me more. Okay, so there's one pattern. Is called the drying pattern. Mm -hmm. It is like eroding soft rocks. Yeah. Erosion is when water or anything else kind of rubs up against rocks. Like, say, wind can like rub rocks, but water in this case, it, it can uh, like, Erode it? Yeah, it can pick up like, the small rocks at the bottom and then it'll throw them against the bigger rocks and eventually over time they'll erode it. Uh -huh. and That's really, you found a lot. So I'm looking at your nature yeah. journal now and you're like, it's a drainage pattern, right? Mm -hmm. And then what? what yeah, is this? So the softer so, rocks are yeah, the ones that... Yeah, so the water will erode 
the soft rocks over time, but then the harder rocks, it will like flow around them, and, and that's what and makes the cool pattern. As in this yeah, you know why? Does that explain? That explains a lot because have you ever gone to a river where you find perfectly round rocks? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that must be over many, many millions of years. Those rocks have just been smooth on the edges. Yeah, and then there's another kind. It. Meandering rivers. Meandering. Meandering me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is when the river's filling down, like, like gently sloping ground. Yeah. And it makes just slope, sometimes makes the water begin to like, rock back and forth, which causes some, like, the erosion on the bottom. Right. And over time, you get water, the river erodes the rock. And forms gorges and canyons. Oh, that's, that's how cool. like, the Grand Canyon was made. Oh. Obviously, on a much bigger scale because they call it on a Well, you are. River. You're just full of facts. You're yeah. full of river facts, right? That's a. Uh, that is probably the most powerful force on Earth. I would say is water. Yes. So you are a hydro hydrological expert, and I really appreciate it. I think our listeners are going to be fascinated. Listening so to everything. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Handshake here. Nice to meet you, Alex. Good mm-hmm. job. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about rivers. I've got to get you a transition.